Okay, so we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning. Uh, last time we were in, we were looking at verses 9 and 10. And so we'll be picking up there again. But uh, let's start with a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word. We thank you uh, for the beautiful day you've given us. Um, and we do pray that you'll open our hearts and minds to understand your word, to see how these things apply in our lives, and to, um, I guess, begin to understand some of the um, difficulties of what Paul is trying to teach the Corinthians here. Um, we just pray you'll bless our time now in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so to get our bearings, we're going to go ahead and read the whole chapter, chapter 5. Um, we read around. If you don't want to read, just say pass. You don't have to read. So. Marie, you want to start for us? It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. And you are proud. Shouldn't you have, shouldn't you have rather have gone into mourning? have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For I, on my part, though absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this, as though I were present. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present and with you, the power of our Lord Jesus. Then okay. hand this man over to Satan. What? Sorry. <laughs> Hand this man over to Satan so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and the spirit saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not. Skip the page. <laughs> That's right. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Now you're over to you. Now, Russ. <laughs> you're on, Russ. You're not. Oh, it's your turn now, Russ. Now. <laughs> Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you are, as you really are for Christ. Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread, leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in the letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy, and, or, excuse me, and swindlers, or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But actually I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother, if he should be an immoral person, or covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or a swindler, not to even eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God will judge, the, judge those outside, and spell the wicked person from among you. Okay, so let's uh, <coughs> kind of do some reviewing. Corinth, in 100 BC, Corinth was basically the Sodom of the Roman Empire. Calling someone a Corinthian was like calling someone a sodomite. Um, they were that bad. Uh, a lot of idolatry and uh, the pagan idolatry often involved prostitution. It was a seaport. Even today, seaports are notorious for, for prostitution. Um, and so they had all these problems. And then, uh, so 
Paul comes, he preaches the gospel, they're saved to get a church established, then he leaves. And um, one of the issues was they, they basically rejected Paul's authority and teaching because they thought they knew better on their own what was right and what was wrong. And we see that in the first, especially the first three chapters. You know, they had the wisdom of man versus the wisdom of God. God's wisdom is in his word. They had their own idea of what was right and what was wrong. And we see that coming down here in verse in chapter 5. We see both these things coming together. We see this immorality. It says a man had his father's wife. Um, that's not his mother. That's a woman who had been married to or was married to his father. And the commentaries don't know exactly what this means. It can mean that he married a woman who had been married to his father before. That's a possibility. Or he's actually having uh, intercourse with his stepmother um, at the other extreme. But it's not really clear. Um, but they weren't doing anything about it in the church. They were loving and accepting, and they just accepted this man into their fellowship without judging him. So. You know, God's word says, no, you have to judge this. You have to do something about it. But they knew better than God. So that's why it talks about being arrogant uh, in verse 2. You become arrogant. You think your morality is better than God's morality. And so that's the other thing that, that Paul was combating here. So Paul comes on uh, in verses 3 through 5 and basically says, you need to excommunicate this guy. You should be grieving over this kind of sin in your congregation, and you need to excommunicate him. Paul was at Ephesus at this time, and so he says, I'm, here's my judgment. I'd, I'd say the same thing if I was there with you. You've got to put this guy out. You've got to excommunicate him. And then he goes back and uses a, an illustration from the Old Testament uh, with leaven and Passover. You know, that's... One of the reasons why we read and study the Old Testament, so when we get to the New Testament, we know what Paul's talking about here. Um, but the, the fact that you can take a little bit of evil and put it into a group of people, and it pretty soon infects everybody. That's what he's talking about with a little bit of leaven. Um, leavens the whole lump of, of dough. And he, he says in, in verse 7, um, that you may be a new lump or an unleavened lump, just as in fact you are already unleavened. And so this is a, the un, being unleavened is like being sanctified, separated from sin. We are unleavened already. That's our position in Christ. Let's go back to chapter one. I'd like to read verse thirty for us. Did you say thirty. Thirty. Yes. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Okay, we're in Christ, and so in him we are sanctified. That's the same as being unleavened. We are, in fact, unsanctified, and now Paul's saying, now act that way. Um, and we, we see the, the Passover is where Christ uh, is sacrificed for us, that's where we're sanctified positionally. And then he goes and talks about the, the feast. This is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Back in the Old Testament, on the first month, 
of the year. For, on the 14th day was Passover, and on the 15th you started um, seven days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And all this goes back to when they left Egypt. And now he's applying it to our, our, our daily lives. So he says, continue without leaven. And that's how you're supposed to live your life. So that gets us through kind of the preliminary stuff up to verse 9. Um, and, and again, now he's starting to give some real general instruction about separation from unbelievers. And he's going to apply that back to our uh, sinner from verse 1. But he said, I wrote, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous or the swindlers or with the idolaters for then you would have to go out of the world. So he's written a previous letter which we don't have. It was not included in scripture. The true first Corinthians. What's that? That was the true first Corinthians. That's the true first <laughs> The first first Corinthians. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we have this letter that he had already written and he had covered this information. He said, don't associate with immoral people. And the word for immoral is porne. So many versions say sexually immoral because that's the connotations here. And especially with the Corinthian background, it was a lot of sexual immorality. He says, don't associate with them. And, and we looked at that word associate, it means to mix in together. So if you, if you Back, you know, in 60 AD, when Paul wrote this, if you had a cooking recipe that says put your ingredients in a bowl and then mix them well, that's the word that they would use here. Mix them all up together really well. Um, he said, don't get mixed up like that. But they were taking that uh, and overdoing it. Apparently they were, they thought, well, he said, you know, don't, you know, um, he said, I, I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world, uh, with unbelievers. He said, you, and he goes on to say, you, you know, if you isolate yourself totally from the whole world, you're going to be like a little convent of believers totally separated, and that's what, not what he was telling them to do. Yeah. He did not want that total isolation. So, that's, so he says, okay, you've got the wrong idea there. I'm trying to correct your wrong idea by, by telling you not to get that separated. And so that's kind of where we were last time. Um, he's saying, you, you know, you, you do have to mix with them sometimes and in some ways. Um, let's turn to chapter 10 in 1 Corinthians. And someone like read verse 27. We looked at this two weeks ago. 1 Corinthians 10, 27. Okay, we're going to go back to this chapter later to this morning, but if an unbeliever invites you for dinner, go and have dinner with them. There's no restriction here on that. That's not what he's saying. Um, we looked at some other passages from uh, the Gospels. Jesus ate with unbelievers and sinners and tax collectors, all these horrible people in the you know, the religious uh, Pharisees were saying how horrible that was. They should be separate like they were. 
Jesus mixed with sinners because they're the ones who needed to be saved. So you need to have some um, to mix in with us, with sinners. And so this is all what we, we've covered last week. So let's go on and talk a little bit more about how, how are we supposed to interact with unbelievers. So let's turn to Philippians chapter 2. Someone like to read verses 14 and 15 for us. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God, without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe. Okay, we shine like stars in the universe, or New American Standard, among whom you appear as lights in the world. And again, he goes on to say, holding fast the word of life. So when, when we go out and mix with people, we are the light of the world. Um, that's our little children's song. Let, let your light shine. You know, don't put it under a bushel basket. You know, and Christ told the parables, you know, a city, we're like a city on a hill or we're to be a light to the world. Um, I've mentioned in the past uh, <coughs> fellow... Uh, Gary Yafuso that I had come to me in junior college uh, when I was a resident aide in a dorm and, and he knocked on the door and came in and I, I was expecting him to want me to unlock his room for him and instead he said how can I get to know God <laughs> so I, I, I looked him up this last year 50 years later, found out he'd retired. He's been a pastor in Hawaii for 50, all 40 some years. Um, and it was fun talking to him because uh, my twin brother Dale and I were both there at Yakima, living in the dorm. And he said, you know, you guys were just different. I, there was something different about you and I wanted to know what it was. Well, Dale and I were both young believers. We were we had no idea at all we were acting different than anybody else. We were totally oblivious to all this. So it wasn't until I called him up and found out, why, you know, why did you ask me that? So this is God's light shines through us. You know, we weren't out buttonholing people and trying to share the gospel. We just were going to school. And he said, there's something different about you. It was like, you know, light of Christ shines out through us. And so that's why we need to get out into the world um, uh, so that we shine before them. Now, this doesn't always lead to conversions. <laughs> Let's look at Ephesians chapter 5. Someone like to read verses 11 through 13 for us here. Okay, so we have a bunch of people out there participating in the unfruitful deeds of darkness and you go shine your flashlight on them and what are they going to do? Hide. Hi, hide. Scurry. Scurry or try to put the light out. <laughs> Turn off that light. Um, yeah, they don't like it. Let's look at John chapter 3.
John chapter 3. Would someone like to read verses 19 through 21? This is a judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Okay, so here Jesus is the light of the world. Not talking about believers shining, but himself. And he says, this, this is the real judgment. Okay, I'm coming to the world as a light. How do people respond to the light of, of Christ? And verse 20, he says, everyone who does evil hates the light. They don't want to be exposed. They don't want to be called to uh, repentance. So they reject the light and, and, and hate the light. And, and Jesus says, you know, this is the judgment. You know, I think this is what, when people stand before Christ at the final judgment, it's going to be, well, what did you do with me? Did you reject me? Did you accept me? And that's the issue. Um, some come to the light. You know, it talks about God opening the eyes of the blind and opening their heart to understand the gospel. So when God opens your eyes to see the light and receive the light, then, then you uh, believe and are saved. So... Paul is, back to 1 Corinthians 5, Paul is saying, do not totally disassociate from the world. Don't isolate yourself from them. So does that mean it's okay to go ahead and mix in with them? Well, somewhat. There are restrictions here. Um, and the first thing we just looked at was, you know, some people are going to totally reject us. If you go in and you're a believer, you have your principles, you have your, the Christian moral code, they're just going to reject you and not want anything to do with you anyway. So then it becomes kind of a non-issue. They don't want to mix with you, so you're not going to mix with them. But we do interact with unbelievers all the time. So what are some of the limitations on that? So let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This is where we said, we looked earlier and says, okay, to go to dinner with them. Um, but someone like to read verses 20 and 21 here. No, I imply that my pagan sacrifice is offered to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Okay. So... Earlier we talked about eating meat, you know, or going and having dinner. Most of the meat came from the temples. They were constantly bringing in animals and slaughtering them. Well, they didn't just throw them away. They took the meat and basically took it to the butcher shop in town and sold it. So if you wanted meat and you lived in Corinth, it had come through the temple system. And I think the same thing happened in, in ancient Israel. You know, I, just thinking back, I can't think of, or there's very few places, if any, where it just talks about going out and killing and butchering an animal for food. You know, there's, there's all these rules about when you, when you take a, an offering, who gets what part? Certain parts are holy to the high priest only. 
Some are holy to the Levites. Some their families can share, some they can't. And some of it goes back to the person who brought the offering. So that's basically where a lot of their meat came from. It goes through the temple system. So what, what Paul is telling them here in, in verses 20 and 21 is you do not take the animal in and participate in the actual ritual of sacrificing it to the demons. That's idolatry. That's a limit. You don't participate in that. You know, once the meat gets onto the meat market, you can go and buy it and eat it. That's fine. You're not participating in, in, the, in the worship service. So you see, it's kind of a judgment call here. You've got to use good judgment as to how involved you get, but be careful. You know, he does give some extreme limits here. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. He's still dealing with this issue when we get to 2 Corinthians. There's a lot of the stuff in 1 Corinthians that he's still dealing with in 2 Corinthians because they didn't learn that fast. How much time between the two letters? I don't know. I think it's been a, it was a few years, a couple of years anyways. Maybe a year, I don't know, at least a year. When we get to 2 Corinthians, I'll have to study that. <laughs> okay. So. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, someone like to read verses 14 through 17. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing that I will welcome you. Okay. I like some of these phrases, like in verse 16. We are the temple of the living God. A lot of what he's saying is based on that. Um, but he talks about don't be bound together with unbelievers. Um, does this mention marriage specifically? No, it doesn't. I'm just, in a way, it's kind of surprised. But there's, there's more, no more closer binding together of two human beings than marriage. You know, the word cleave <coughs> comes from a word that means to glue. I don't know if you've ever glued your fingers together with <laughs> super glue. <laughs> it's a, um, yeah, you become real careful about not doing that. That's, that's what it means, husband, man, and woman, you cleave together, you're glued together. Uh, so that's definitely included here. And in, in the last few, over the last year or two, we, we studied Ezra and Nehemiah. Remember, over and over and over in those two books, the Jews were marrying the Gentiles. They were intermixing their marriages, and that was a constant issue that they were dealing with there. So... So when we talk about being bound together, uh, what might be specific examples besides marriage? Business contracts. Business partnerships. Yeah, I, I, you're, you're saying, okay, you say business contracts versus business partnerships. <clears throat> I had a contract with someone to re-roof my house. I don't know if they were believers or not. Is that okay? 
Yeah, we weren't bound together. We had a contract, they did a job, and then they left. Now, if I got into partnership with them, that's different. Um, and so you kind of have to know how to draw the lines here. Um, and the fact that Paul dealt with this issue in the lost letter, he's dealing with it again in 1 Corinthians, and now he's dealing with it again in 2 Corinthians, means that this is one of those really difficult areas that he, he's trying to get them to understand, but there's still all this limitations for, for just learning good judgment as to what is being too bound or not so much bound. Um, I tend to uh, lean towards not getting wrapped up with people because if you, you know, once you're bound together with an unbeliever, it's awful hard to get out of the situation. It's easier to say no in the beginning than to go too far and, and then have to try to get out of it. But as we go through this, this passage in 2 Corinthians, there's a lot of pairs of things here. Um, Starting in verse 14, we have righteousness and lawlessness contrasted. Then at the end of 14, light and darkness. Um, verse 15, Christ and Belial. So these are opposites. Um, also in uh, 15, believer and unbeliever. And then in 16, we have the temple of God. And then we have the an idols, temple of idols. These are contrasts. These are things that are so much different between us and unbelievers. And then you look at the words he uses to describe this relationship. Um, first in verse 14, don't be bound together. He talks about, so we can't be bound together. Then we have partnership. Um, We have, uh, in verse 14 again, what fellowship has light with darkness? So we can't have partnership. We can't have fellowship. Uh, verse 15, harmony. We can't have harmony with them. Um, verse 15 goes on, you know, what do we have in common? We can't have commonness with them. And then 16, agreement. We can't have agreement with them. So it just, it, it just won't work. And so Paul's warning them against that. So we, we interact with unbelievers, but we still have to maintain our holiness. We have to maintain some separation from them. Um, now this is not the main point of what Paul is saying in chapter five <laughs> in our verse. He's, he's kind of giving a general summary here and, and we expanded to, to look at you know, the whole relationship. Um, one of the commentaries actually went into a lot more detail than I just did over these last two lessons. Um, he went into an awful long section on this. So the, our interaction with unbelievers is not really the issue that Paul's dealing with. It's the interaction with the sinner in your midst, which we get to in verse 11. So we're back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. It says, But actually I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he should be an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. 
so um, what we're doing here is he's he's getting back again to the to the main issue, the excommunication of this uh, sinful believer, and one of the things that you'll notice here is our relationship with this or their the Corinthians relationship with this sinner in their midst is going to be a lot more strict than their relationship with unbelievers. He doesn't say to totally isolate from unbelievers, but that's basically what he's saying about this, what he calls the so-called believer. Literally, it's any man called a brother. But now, Gerald, yes. is this man a believer? Does he confess to be a believer? He confesses to be a believer. He calls himself a brother. And and if you notice, you know, you go through all of Paul's writings, and he says, he writes to his brothers. And in some one or two places, he talks about sisters. This is the only place where he refers to one who is called a brother. So it's a little unusual. Um, and most of the translations take this to mean that his conversion may be in doubt. New American Standard, a so-called brother. NIV, anyone who calls himself a brother. Revised Standard and English Standard versions, who bears the name of a brother. So all this implies that he carries the title of being a Christian, but he's not really a brother. He's not really saved. And if this is true, that helps to explain a previous passage or term that was kind of confusing back at verse 5, where he's talking about excommunicate this person so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So if this guy is not really saved, what Paul is saying, excommunicate him, that will put pressure on him and maybe he will become saved. So that is a possible explanation of, of verse 5. But he describes this guy's lifestyle. Um, so he calls himself a brother, but he's immoral. Again, we saw that was that's sexually immoral here, um, which would cover this, this guy here in verse 1. Or... Um, not to be covetous or greedy. And this is someone who always wants more. Let's go back to Romans chapter 7. Someone like to read verses 7 and 8 for us. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Okay, so this is the sin that Paul was most familiar with, coveting, greediness, always wanting more. Um, and if you, you go back and look at him, I think he was, 
he talks about, you know, among all the other young Pharisees, he was the best, of, the hardest working Pharisee. He wanted to be known as the most, most religious of the Pharisees. I think it was a lot of, he coveted their, their respect. Um, is part of what was going on there. And we can see it from his performance. You know, that's why he was so busy chasing Christians all over the, mm -hmm. nobody else was like Paul. He was the number one catcher of Christians and hauling them back to Jerusalem for trial. Um, so he was greedy for, in, in a sense, not for money, or, but for fame, I guess, and uh, respect among the, among the religious group. Um, Okay, back to our verse, it goes on, talks about idolater. That means continuing to participate in idol worship. So we saw that in, in chapter 10. Um, we didn't look at it, but verse 14, it says, flee from idolatry. So they were still having some problems with going back to the, the um, temples in Corinth. Um, and... Some were actually going and eating at the pagan ceremonies, apparently. You know, and that's why we saw when we read in chapter 10, you know, you know, don't go and, you can't take the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You can't participate with them. So some of them were doing that. Uh, do not be a reviler or a slanderer. This is someone who heaps verbal abuse on others. He talks about being a drunkard. Uh, you know, this is excessive drinking uh, leads to loss of control and, and a lot of these other sinful behaviors. Um, they, they all drank wine. It was pretty common, but not to get drunk. There was a limit again. Um, finally, don't be a sw uh, swindlers. It's someone who wants to defraud and take advantage of others. Sometimes you run into that in the business world, someone advertises that they're a Christian businessman. And no, they're not. <laughs> they're a swindler. Uh, this is one of those so-called believers, I think. Yeah. Now, we all fail in these different areas. We stumble, we trip. And, you know, but what this is talking about is they're actually described by these words. Um, this was their lifestyle, yeah. Not to, if, if he should be an immoral person. It doesn't say, well, if he should sin once in a while, you know, have problems with this. But if he lives as an immoral person, or he, he lives as a reviler, or he is, lives as a drunkard. You know, um, so it's talking about someone uh, whose lifestyle is like this. They haven't been changed by God's grace. And so, you know, don't associate with people who live like the world or worse, but call themselves Christians, and they want to come into the church and live that way. Um, you can't have that. Paul says, don't even eat with them. Um, now, some of the commentaries said, well, this means to exclude them from communion. And actually, it goes a lot more than that. Don't, don't have social interaction with them. Um, And again, the separation from a person like this is a lot more severe than the separation from unbelievers who know they're unbelievers and don't claim to be Christians. Because, you know, as believers, we're held to a higher standard. 
Now this section here is, is, seems to be more general teaching than specifically directed toward our, our sinner from verse 1. Um, but it, it includes that. Um, if you have a continued pattern of behavior condemned by Scripture and they claim to be a Christian, separate. Don't have anything to do with them. Now Paul has some other places where he has similar statements. Let's look at Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. Someone like read verses 17 and 18 for us. Okay, so here we've got people who um, basically they're, they're causing dissensions in the church, they're teaching false, false things. He says, keep your eye on them, avoid them, turn away from them, separate yourself from them. Now this does not seem to be um, a specific discipline of, of uh, excommunication here. It's just a general warning. You know, here's someone who's going to, they're a troublemaker, uh, they're like yeast in the, just stay away from them. So it's a little different than what we have in 1 Corinthians where you say, okay, they're in the church, now you've got to get them out. This is just avoid them completely. Uh, let's look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Second Thessalonians chapter three, would someone like to read verses six and seven for us? So he goes on to talk about people who basically live off everybody else. They don't do any work in the church. And he's saying, look, I came and I worked to support myself, and I'm, I'm an example to you. So, those, so when it talks about um, undisciplined life, um, that's part of what he's saying here. This is um, uh, also this talks about being unruly. But this is just a general lifestyle. And he says... Separate yourself from them. You know, they're, 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 they say they're believers. They should not have this kind of a lifestyle. Um, our lifestyle sh should re re reflect what our salvation, what Christ has done in us. We're new creatures in Christ that should be shown in our lifestyle. Um, this is also the, the same chapter where we have... Uh, excommunication. Someone like to read verses 14 and 15. Still in 2 Thessalonians 3. It was for this he called you through our gospel? Nope. nope. Okay, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 verses 14 and 15. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, 
take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. Yet, do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Okay, so we've looked at this before as an example of excommunication. Put him out of the church so that he can be put to shame, so that he will repent and, and conform to, the, to Paul's teachings. And so that is more of a formal excommunication. Um, and the commentaries all reference a verse in 2 John. So let's look at that. It's a little different, but I said, since it was so all pervasive <laughs> through all the stuff I looked at, I thought, let's, let's look at it. 2 John. And someone like to read verses 9 through 11. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked words. Okay, so this is, this is John, the apostle of love. He just slammed the door in her face. <laughs> If they're teaching false doctrine, you want nothing to do with them, period. Don't even let them in your house. So, uh, again, the, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't slam the door. <laughs> I'm exaggerating. Yes. Be polite, but don't bother. Don't, you don't want them in your house. Don't, uh, don't even greet them. Just say, sorry, I want nothing to do with you. So, okay, so. Um, we have to stop there with time, but uh, that goes over this whole how do we interact with unbelievers and, and so-called believers in the church. So. Well, let's close there. Uh, Joe, would you like to close for us, please? Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the way it speaks to us, that's personal to each one of us as we read it. We thank you that it's a living word. We thank you that we have it in our hands. Lord, we thank you for this hour, for the next hour to come. That you'll be here, that we'll be here with forceful attitude, ready to receive what you have for us. And there's a spare Lord that you will bless us this morning, and that we, we will go out our day to glorify you, and we do. In your precious name, we pray. Amen. Amen.